10, 15. Back up field at the 35 to the 40. 45, 50. Pass the 50. 35, 40. Pass the 30. To the 20. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. Hello again, everyone. This is the Old College Try. This is your host, Tim Hyland. And joining me, as always, is my co-host, Mike Unger. Mike, as I was preparing the agenda for tonight's show, um, you know, a, a big part of the agenda is the schedule for the week, right? And you go to ESPN.com College Football, and you go to the College Football Schedule area, and there's a drop-down menu of like week one through week 15. And Mike, unfortunately, this week was week 15. And did that make you sad? A little bit. I will say yes. Absolutely. Uh, What a season it's been. And we hail last week, you know, it's our favorite week of the year, of course, Thanksgiving week. I can't remember one that came through in more shining colors than this week, starting on third. We'll get to it, but starting with the Egg Bowl and ending with the, basically with the Iron Bowl, it was tremendous college football from for four straight days so i have to ask too mike how was your thanksgiving it's also a very important part of thanksgiving weekend oh thanksgiving itself uh, yes. delightful i was very nervous because for the first time in i can't even remember many 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 years it wasn't at my parents it was at a family friend so i was concerned i wasn't going to have leftovers you can't mm. really just you know raid a fridge and take what you want like you can at your parents but uh, props to our host, Anne, a lovely woman named Anne. She, at the end of the meal, brought out new Tupperware for everyone, instructed everyone to take Tupperware and fill up their to-go uh, orders of turkey. We had incredible stuff, chorizo, stuffing. Mm. Indian woman there who made curry, cauliflower, all kinds of, course, traditional stuff, potatoes, all that it was great. So I had my I had my leftover turkey. So it was a it was a success. So did you take one big uh, Tupperware and dump a bunch of stuff into one bowl? Correct. Yes. All that's the, the only way to do it, right? All the Tupperware containers were the same size, but mine was definitely stuffed to the gills. <laughs> Outstanding. I will say our Thanksgiving was fantastic. Um, the best turkey I ever made, Mike. I had a twenty-three pound turkey. And uh, we had so much going on. In years past, I've tried, like, all these fancy recipes for turkey. Like, you start it with, like, the breast side down, and you turn it over to it, and it changed temperatures, all this kind of stuff. It was fine. This year, I literally just put the turkey in, stuffed the turkey, put it in the oven at 350, left there for five hours. The best turkey ever. It's great. You get so much credit for doing for, for cooking things like smoking things or or doing things where you in the crock pot where you really never have to do much to it and you get so much credit. I love that. Right, it's fantastic. Also, another fun bonus of our Thanksgiving was that Bobby's um Bobby's wife's sister's boyfriend. Did you follow that, Mike? Basically. He's a hunter. And we jokingly told him, like, oh, if you can kill something on Thanksgiving and bring it, we'll eat it for Thanksgiving. <laughs> an animal, an animal, probably. He, yes. <laughs> he brought some goose that he killed, and he wrapped it in bacon, and it was excellent, Mike. 
what did the goose look like when he brought it over? Was it? I mean, did, was he holding it by its neck? Oh no, he or, cleaned or was it. Was it already he, cleaned? He cleaned. And he cleaned it. it. Yeah, and it was That's like a shame. I, I pictured him walking through the through the door with you know one of those uh, hats with the long ear flaps and just kind of holding a a goose dangling by its neck. It would have been a, a sight, but I think that the children may have been traumatized by that. <laughs> so, but I will say, uh, goose meat, extremely red meat, Mike. It's like the reddest meat you've ever seen in your entire life. Really interesting. Yeah. Goose, uh, not really nice creatures. Don't don't ever accidentally hit one with a golf ball. They don't <laughs> no, like that. But it was tasty. Anyway, Mike, as you said, we went into last week knowing it was going to be a fantastic week of college football. It did not disappoint. Um, besides Thanksgiving, what was your weekend of college football? And we're saying Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Mike. Oh, it, was, it, it couldn't have been better. It was the best in recent memory. Got home from Thanksgiving Thursday night, made my traditional white Russians, had a few friends over, and turned on the Egg Bowl. And let me tell you, Tim, even people who originally were saying, why are we watching <laughs> Ole Miss, Mississippi State, by the end of that game, were riveted. Well, it for one b- big such reason. such a war. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. It was such a war. I mean, we'll talk about the ending later. Uh, watched Virginia, Virginia Tech on Friday. That was an outstanding game, and, and really it looked like a, one of the best atmospheres I can ever remember seeing in Charlottesville. The fans were so into it, snapping a 15-game losing streak to Vod Tech. Saturday, watched football from noon to get this, Tim, 1.30 a.m. Ooh. It was unbelievable. I watched the end of the Territorial Cup, Arizona, Arizona State. I watched the beginning of the Hawaii Army game, and I fell asleep at halftime of the Hawaii Army game, which is a hell of a run. The old Oak and Bucket game, best in my my memory that I can remember since 07, I believe it was, when the Indiana kicker, Austin Starr, hit a walk-off to beat Purdue and become bowl eligible in the Terry Hepner era. Since then, this was the best game. Again, I was at the bar watching this with – numerous people who at the beginning of the game mocked me for watching and being so into Indiana uh, Purdue but by the end of the game were riveted and the Iron Bowl what can you say about it 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 it, uh, it delivered on a on a level that we uh, we haven't seen so let's get started Mike and the only place to start as you mentioned is the Egg Bowl and I think we're both thrilled that the Egg Bowl is back on Thanksgiving Day it's oh yeah it's Thanksgiving night it's it's a beautiful tradition so the final is Mississippi State 21, Ole Miss 20. For folks who didn't see this game, and there may be a few out there, I'll get to the ending in a bit because the the implications of what happened at the end of this game are far-reaching for many people. Yeah. But how would you describe the game up until that point, Mike? Nasty. Yeah. Uh, the intensity, to, I, I don't think I've ever seen two teams play harder. Now, are they the two most talented teams you've ever seen? No, of course not. But the game meant everything to both sides. You could tell the entire way through. Mississippi State really was in control of the game. Uh, beautiful comeback by Ole Miss, um, and then and then what happened at <laughs> what happened at the end happened at the end. And you're right; it, it it altered futures, people's futures and livelihoods. So I will say too, as you mentioned, I, I think sometimes people write off these. Um for lack of a better term, lower level rivalries as being um, just kind of novelties or meaningless. People need to understand how 
incredibly heated and anger fueled this one is this is a yeah. deep-seated and there's so many stories i mean I, I could spend an hour on this podcast talking about some of the things that happened in the past about it but again if you watch this game you saw very clearly how much this matters to these teams so mike if you don't mind walk us through the final sequence of this game <laughs> well of course it's a seven point game 21 uh 21 14 bulldogs Ole Miss gets the ball back, furiously drives down the field, uh, it w- re- converts a ridiculous fourth and 25, essentially a Hail Mary. Right. It reminded me very much of the BYU-Tennessee game from earlier this year where you're <laughs> screaming, how can the defense allow that to happen? Uh, they get the ball to the four-yard line, uh, to the, I, I don't know, three-yard line, something like that, but there are four seconds left. Scores the winning touchdown making it 21-20. Of course, they're going to kick the extra point to tie it. But the Ole Miss receiver, as we all know now, as the world knows now, this story actually kind of, uh, it trickled over outside of sports for a while. I, you know, you I heard a couple people who I know are not really huge sports fans talking about it say, oh, I heard about that. He uh, pretends he's a dog, lifts his legs, and, uh, you know, uh, pantomimes a uh, urination. Uh, on the in the end zone, gets a 15-yard penalty. Then, of course, Ole Miss misses the tying extra point. Uh, 21-20, Mississippi State's the final. So, first of all, I'm watching this unfold in real time. Yes, right? as was as was I. So I go from wow, what an amazing turn of events in this game with this touchdown, and then you see him go on all fours and lift his leg, <laughs> and you instantly know well they're going to call this right. So yes. This game has turned twice in a matter of three seconds, <laughs> right? Yes. Unbelievable. So, again, Ole Miss loses the game as a result of this one player, who's a very good player, by the way. Elijah Moore, yeah. and he apologized, and I'm sure if he had to do it all over again, he wouldn't do that. As a result of this, essentially, like you can tell me if I'm exaggerating, Ole Miss coach Matt Luke has lost his job. There's no way they fire him if they win the game. Right. His entire staff essentially loses their job. And Joe Moorhead, the coach at Mississippi State, keeps his job. And very, his sole very staff. Easily could, very easily could have been fired if they lost. They would have been 5-7, and seven, not bowl eligible. You're absolutely right. And if you think, again, I know people look at these coaches and say, like, oh, they make so much money. It, it's a horrible existence. <laughs> these people, <laughs> well, to get to the level of Matt Luke or Joe Moorhead, you have to slave for years as yes. an underpaid assistant on the road all the time recruiting, begging 16-year-old kids to come play for you. I mean, it's a humiliating thing. And you get to the point where you're Matt Luke where you're the coach at your own alma mater. He yes. played at Ole Miss. He grew it's up an Ole Miss fan. He, he said it was his dream job, and I believe him, actually. Right, and he they gave him two years, which is crazy, by the way. Um and because this guy does this one weird thing, he's out of a job, and his coaching career is totally thrown off track now. It's it's an astounding, but what a wonderful way to end Thanksgiving, Mike. Right? <laughs> it was. It really was. My jaw hit the floor, and it was. Uh, it was a wonderful way to end Thanksgiving, and it was a wonderful way to kick off Thanksgiving weekend. All right. Speaking of which, Mike, Friday, the Legends game, number seventeen, Iowa twenty-seven, Nebraska twenty-four. Nebraska came to play at least. Yes, well, they had to win, of course, to attempt to be bowl eligible. They're now sitting out bowl season for the third straight year. Bowl season we're talking about. Nebraska missing 
for the third straight year, which is a little shocking. I heard this was a great game, but I did not get to see it. Number 18, Memphis, 34. Number number eight, 19, Cincinnati? My readers are lost, Mike, so I can't read the screen. Oh, I've seen that. I've seen yeah. that misery up, front, up close. Yes. 24. So how about Memphis, right? Yeah, Memphis, nice win, and it's, of course, sets up the rematch in the American title game coming up on Saturday. I'll have a little more to say about that later in the show. How good is the American, by the way, Mike? It's so fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I love seeing Navy up there. Now, I was rooting, of course, for Cincinnati. Had Cincinnati won, uh, Navy then would have clinched a spot in the uh, conference title game by beating Houston, which they did do. Uh, but what a what a season for Navy. Yes, I enjoy watching American uh, football. The best move, again, people forget, I think, that the American was born out of the ashes of the old Big East, right? Yes. And Mike Oresco, who I think is a great commissioner, um, the greatest marketing genius move ever, potentially, in college football was him rebranding essentially a failed league as the American League, right? <laughs> who can be against the American League? Yep. Yep, and they threw it together, and they also threw together some a bunch of kind of nomads, right? Uh, you know, with uh, SMU and schools like that, and convincing Navy to get in the league was a, was a big coup too. I think Navy brings a certain gravitas to the league, and it's just it's just fun football to watch. They're they're not far off being Power Five. They're a pretty no, good league. They're really not. They have some some stadiums and some environments that are lacking a bit, but the quality of play is high. Virginia 39, number 24, Vatek 30. Now, I missed this game, but I, I know you saw it, Mike. Yeah, Quite a game, awesome right? Awesome game. Awesome game. Back and forth, back and forth. Seemed like it was tied or a one-score game the entire game. Lots of credit to Vatek, too, for coming back. Uh, it, was, it was a wild atmosphere down there in Charlottesville. The, the fans were really, really into it. Bryce Perkins made play after play for Virginia. The game was then 33-30. Vodtech got the ball back uh, with a chance to drive down the field and either tie it or win it, but they kept going backwards. Virginia got sack, sack, and then the strip, uh, a sack with the strip fumble uh, that, that they recovered in the end zone to, to win it. And It was fun seeing Bronco Mendenhall celebrate with his kids and seeing all the, the Wahoo fans rush the field. It was a hell of a game. Potentially the biggest win for UVA since the great George Welch coached there, Mike. Remember That's him? right. They, yeah, they were, they were up uh, around number one or one or two in the country when they had Sean Moore and Herman yeah, Moore. Right. All right, Mike. To the big ones. Number one, Ohio State, fifty-six. Number thirteen, Michigan, twenty-seven. Now, I, of course, I'm biased, and I think you may be too, Mike. There, I'm I'm no fan of Ohio State, although I grew up in Ohio. Um, and as a Penn State fan, I, I can't necessarily like support Ohio State. But if you're asking me who do I dislike more, Ohio State or Michigan, it's definitely Michigan. And seeing mm. Michigan so miserable right now, is there's a lot of joy in that, Mike. It was kind of fun. Did you see Harbaugh's press conference after the loss? I will uh, a- answer your questions, not your insults. I not your that. insults, which, by the way, it was not an insult. It was a question he was projecting. <laughs> Right. Uh, I w- so this game was on in the bar. It was one of the, the five or six we were watching at noon. Of course, most of my attention was focused on the bucket game. But every time I looked up, you know, Ohio State was scoring again. I heard this stat on the radio t- today. I believe it was Mark Packer. In the last two games, Ohio State 
15 of their 25 offensive drives have ended in touchdowns. Isn't that not stunning? 15 mm. of 25 ended in touchdowns. The t- these two teams are just in different stratospheres. And is this even a rivalry anymore, really? I mean, it's eight in a row for Ohio State. The last couple have not been competitive. Uh, it, it's it would be very very disheartening to be a Michigan fan. Well, I guess so. Again, like you have this talk now amongst Michigan fans. I mean, I know you're not big on Twitter, Mike, but there was a hilarious conversation the past few days amongst Michigan people where their new narrative is that well, the reason that we can't compete against Ohio State and the Alabamas of the world and the Clemsons is that we are pure college football like we recruit student athletes and oh they i don't. knew that's that's the realm that's the last realm of losers <laughs> there's that that's funny that they're resorting to, they should go in the ivy league then and then the, i will say too so pat you know pat 40 right mike oh yeah i, I love pat i respect pat 40 a lot his uh what's his column called on mondays i forget what it's called 40 uh, yard dash. 40 yard dash and uh, i'm not saying this is a self-serving penn state fan although i kind of am he basically said he's like let's stop pretending that Ohio State Michigan is the biggest game in the Big Ten anymore. It's not. It's Ohio State Penn State. Yeah, that's the reason I, history is clearly what it yeah, is. I read that and I took note of that and I agree with him 100. percent This one, Mike, number 15 Auburn 48, number five Bama 45. Now I, there have been some classic Iron Bowls in recent year. Mm-hmm. This one is right up there with the kick six. Like this has got to be one of the best we've seen in 10 years, right? The kick six is still better. I mean, you'll never see an ending like that again. And also the one in which Cam Newton brought his team back. I believe they were down 21-3. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I, we watched that one at Cross Street Market in Baltimore. I'm not sure if I was with you or not. But uh, those. Two, but this one was so back and forth. It had so many spectacular plays. It was so exciting. So even the casual fans I, w- I was with were very, very much into it. Um, two... Pick six is thrown by Mac Jones. Uh, uh, the number seventeen for Bama. I'm completely blanking on his name. Who had the unbelievable game with Waddle? The, uh, yeah, Waddle with the with the uh, kick return for a touchdown. I mean, Alabama has four NFL wide receivers. It's it's craziness. But lots of credit to Auburn. Again, you want to? Can you imagine being in the crowd in that game? I, no. I feel I feel like it'd be more fun to watch it at Auburn than Alabama for some reason. Right. Uh, you know, it'd be great in both stadiums, but just every time they had, there was a crowd shot there, Jordan Hare, uh, you know, the hair stood up in my arms, and I was like, God, I've got to get to that atmosphere once in my life. What I enjoyed was how deeply concerned the fans were. Like, Oh, yeah. Like, hands to their face, like, just like, almost like shivering with, like, nervousness about things. <laughs> Absolutely. They're, they're, it was to pure nerves, and I had actually... Wanted to talk about this earlier. You know, you watch earlier in the season. You watch an NFL game, and you, the the shot to the fans—they're either angry or drunk. Right. But in in college, they're nervous. They're engaged. I love that. It was uh, it was a, just a tremendous, tremendous game. And then for it to end with Gus Malzahn out coaching. Nick Saban was just a beautiful way for, right, for a game. I'm glad you brought this up. Because as you know, Mike, I'm a kind of like nerding out on Dan Orlovsky's and his analysis of games. Yes, he's he's your F1 of this season. You're right. Obsessed with him. Um, but I, I think you pointed out that Rick Neuheisel, who we both enjoy, pointed it out right after the game. Right which after I on the broadcast. Didn't just... realize. So, Mike, again, explain what happened in the last play there. Uh, Auburn, of course, brought in their what looked like their punt team. 
and then they shifted and moved the punter out to wide receiver, and Bo Nix was in there as quarterback, thus confusing Alabama, who had 12 guys on the field. It was a coaching move. Saban called it unfair after the game. I believe I read that. I didn't see it, so I don't know if he. W- I don't know the exactly the context in which he said that. But uh, you know what was un- un- unfair was the way they got a second back at the uh, at the end yes. of the first half. That was just flat out hometown cheating, in my opinion. Uh, but it was just a brilliant coaching move, and for the game to end that way with sweet justice for Gus Malzahn, three and four again, head to head against Nick Saban. That's a great record for anybody. So again, for folks didn't fully grasp what happened in that last that last fourth down. Um, basically, what happens is the defensive coordinator will field his players based on the personnel put on the field by the opposing offense, right? So Gus put his punter on, and then they sent on Waddle to return it. But the punter lined up at wide receiver, and then Bo Nix is at quarterback. But Bo Nix also can take the, what's it called, the squib kicks or whatever? Quick kick. Quick kick. But because Nix is in the field, the full defense comes out too. And then the Bama coaches couldn't couldn't um, reach Waddle. Waddle couldn't hear them to come off yeah, the field. Fe- yeah, because it was deafening in there. So I saw a lot of conversation about, like, well, how could it be a penalty if the ball wasn't snapped, but apparently the rule is once the defense is set, that's it, right? Mm-hmm. So they set up with 12 players, and Bo Nix saw it right away. He pointed yeah, he at did. it, and the officials saw it too. So it was an amazing end to the game. It was. Um, it was. But the level of talent you saw in that game was – it's why people, you know, laud the, the SEC – the skill players in that game were, were just incredible. I will say Mac Jones, I know I know he threw two picks, but like that guy's a player too. Yeah, of course he is. He's playing quarterback for Alabama. I don't care if he's fifth string. If you're a quarterback for Alabama, you're good. That fourth down run he had before the the uh, missed field goal, that yeah. was a great play. I mean, it was fantastic. What, what about two great stats that you that you've heard a lot this week after this game? Alabama has never beaten a ranked Auburn team. Or when both teams are ranked, Alabama's never beaten Auburn at Auburn. That's a little hard to believe. I think Gus, too, is Gus is 3-4 and four against Saban, yeah, right? Yeah, he is 3-4. and four. The only person who's better is Dabo. Dabo's 2-2. Two and two. And uh, the other great, no team in America. And no um, power – it's either Power 5 or full um, FBS has missed more field goals since 2007 than Alabama it's a problem, huh, Mike? It's just befuddling how they can't get a kicker. <laughs> defies it defies logic. Do you think? All right, this win buys Gus how many weeks before <laughs> fans start grumbling about him again? They better they better have a good week one next year. I'll just say that for Gus. <laughs> number seven, Oklahoma, thirty four. Number twenty one, Oakley State, sixteen. Um, I don't know, Mike. I so Oklahoma is clearly still in the mix right but at this oh, yeah. point i don't know what to make of them and i i had no idea okie state was ranked 21 in the country yeah and they were playing of course without their best receiver and without their quarterback um so they hung in there which is a pretty nice performance by okie state uh considering those circumstances jalen hurts ran for a touchdown threw for a touchdown and of course received a touchdown on the vaunted philly special that seems like every team played uh, runs now so uh, oklahoma's still very much in the in the uh, playoff discussion here how good do you think they are 
I think they could be one of the top four teams. I mean, I think it, a lot de- is going to depend on style points. Like, how does Utah look against Oregon if they win? And how does Oklahoma look against Baylor if they win? Mike, sorry. I was loading up something else on my computer. Where are I at? Okay, number 12, That's- Wisconsin, 38. Number 8, Minnesota, 17. First of all, I don't know if you saw P.J. Flex post-game press conference. I saw some of it. Great stuff, man. I, I, I'm impressed by P.J. Fleck. Two... This is a completely not surprising result. I think we can agree Minnesota was a quality team this year. But yeah, when when you haven't been there before, like Wisconsin's been there before, who couldn't see this coming? Vegas saw it coming. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Wisconsin was favored on the road. Uh, great optics in this game. You had some terrific classic Minnesota weather. Um, but you, people were forgetting Minnesota weather is the same as Wisconsin weather. So <laughs> the Badgers were not impacted or stressed out by all that snow and wind and rain and uh minnesota had, honestly had no answer for jonathan taylor and and they just look like you're right they look like the more poised team number 14 oregon 24 oregon state 10 i think closer than most people thought but in the civil war right this is kind of par for the course wasn't closer than i thought because oregon state was my lock of the week and they covered congrats mike Thank uh you. here because I know the fans want it, Mike. Number 10, Penn State, 27, Rutgers, 6. What a horrible game this was. I can't believe you're listing that over the bucket game. We, no, we I wanted to say it for last for you. It's like Okay, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Uh, so this game was on uh, at the bar again in the 3.30 window. It looked like the most dreadful place to be in America. Yes. Uh, it, it was such a lackluster performance by Penn State. Understandably so. I don't know how you're supposed to get up for that game. You know, all your goals have eluded you after the loss last week, and you're ending against, you know, a team that should be in, in Division Two. So there's not much more to say about it. I will it say that. it, it kind of sucks as a Penn State fan. You have no rival. Well, we used to, I mean, at least Michigan State had become something of note. And they took that away too. Yeah, so, why'd they take Wasn't that the Land Grant trophy? It was, it still is, but like, it was a fun way to end the season. And now we have Rutgers. It's kind of like everyone else is playing these great games, and we have Rutgers. Anyway, yeah, it's, it, 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 it's, it makes you think, you know, you're an afterthought. And Michigan State end with Maryland. Right. I don't know. Are they rivals? Maryland played very, very well, hung in there against uh, against a very disappointing Michigan State team. Why not have Rutgers it? play Maryland and Penn State play Michigan State? Yeah, that's. I agree. I, that You know, it would make me sad as a Maryland fan, but I think uh, – it makes more sense from a conference perspective. Finally, Mike. So again, I apologize. I missed the bucket game. Um, yes. Indiana forty four. Very embarrassed for you. <laughs> Purdue forty one. Walk us through the um, spectacle that was this edition of the bucket game. It was an absolute war. I mean, back and forth, back and forth. Both teams played outstanding, with one exception. Indiana missed three field goals. Indiana was in control of the game the whole time, but Purdue would never go away. Uh, their quarterback O'Connell, very gutty performance. They had a couple of great receptions. Uh, the missed field goals were the undoing for Indiana. They brought in their backup kicker, who hit a very key field goal at the end. Uh, Purdue ties it. The Hoosiers take a touch, uh, take a touchdown lead in the first overtime. Two great defensive plays. It's third and fifteen for Purdue. Uh, and they need a touchdown to tie in the first overtime. You can kind of – I'm starting to smell it. I'm starting to sense the victory. Purdue throws a ball over the middle. The, uh, the, the Purdue receiver 
I don't know how to describe this on radio. He he makes some kind of catch attempt where the ball hits his foot and he kicks it, not just mildly. It goes about eight yards past him, right into the arms of another Purdue receiver who catches it for the first down. I've never seen anything like it in my life, and I was 100% sure at that point that we were going to lose. That's just the kind of fate-like play that if that happens against your team, you don't overcome. It's like Purdue the Missouri-Nebraska play it way was, back when. It was ve- yes, exactly. It was as flukish as that. It wasn't for a touchdown, and it wasn't on fifth down or whatever that was, but it was as flukish as that. Purdue ties it. They get a field goal, and then Indiana, Peyton Ramsey, who, by the way, got a helmet sticker on college football final. It was glorious seeing that, that uh, crimson IU helmet there on the desk near, uh, near Matt Berry. He had uh, three touchdowns passing and two rushing. Key completion to the tight end who lumbered to the one and then very smart play by Ramsey. He rushed IU up to the up to. Oh, I'm watching live update here, Tim. I'm watching the Indiana Florida State basketball game and the football team is parading the bucket out right now. Midcourt <laughs> uh, at uh, Assembly Hall. The crowd is giving him a standing ovation. This is a glorious moment. Uh, anyway, they they rush up Peyton Ramsey. Ramsey then snap, snaps the ball quickly so the defense can't substitute or get set, and he uh, lumbers in for the victory. It was a uh, it was as exciting an Indiana football win as I can ever remember. Ramsey's a great player. I think he's going to be really he really is. good. Phenomenal um, quarterback. Um, so I think you know, Mike, that um. Penn State games affect me emotionally a great deal. You've seen me during a, a, a tight Penn State game. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen you during a lot of close Indiana games. Well, there right. haven't been a lot of close Indiana Right. Games. So, for instance, this year we were in Oregon watching the Penn State-Iowa game. I was just an absolute wreck the entire yes. time. Um, I want you to walk me through your emotions on that one play with that crazy pass that Purdue completed. So I've, I'm sure you went from in 0.5 seconds from absolute elation, like, oh, incomplete, to absolute devastation. So how? Yeah. what were your emotions? Yeah, yeah you, I mean, you summarized it perfectly. And then I was angry at myself because <laughs> before the play, I allowed myself to think, wow, we're going we're gonna to win. It's third and 14. <laughs> you know, I, I think uh, I love the spot we're in. So I blame myself. I was so into every play there at the end that um, my buddy Spencer asked who uh, who I had money on, and when I said I didn't gamble on the game, he said, "Wait, this is just this is just actual emotion." <laughs> he was stunned. That was uh, he'd he'd never seen anything like that in just a game that where where I was concerned with just the result, not the fi- not the spread. And we'll say it that way. There's nothing like it, right? Yeah, it was uh, it was really really exciting and. Honestly, I was so happy for the players and for Tom Allen. When you see your team, your college team win, you're so happy for the players because, yeah. you know, they have great luck. But you know how much work they put in? Uh, you know, they get scholarship and, and they're adored on campus and they're going to some of them are going to go to the NFL and make millions of dollars. But they don't get to hang out and party in college like we did. They no. don't get to just sit around and eat pizza and, and you know drink a couple beers it's a, it's like a full-time job they work their asses off so it's very it's very uplifting when you see that work pay off and i was so listeners probably know that you and i both work in at colleges mike and yes. so you've seen it 
the college I work at, uh, the football program is FCS. The rest of the program is D1. And whether it's the field hockey team or the cross-country team or the football team, whatever, like you said, that's all those kids do yeah, all year long. It's an incredible commitment, incredible time commitment, incredible commitment of energy, um, effort. And uh, they it, most of them do it just for the love of competition. I and mean, right. They, and I think I love many sports. Um there is nothing like the atmosphere in a successful football team locker room. There is a sense yeah. of brotherhood that is like unmatched by anything else in sports. I really believe that. And for those Indiana kids who like have back to back five and seven years before this to have this kind of success, those guys are friends for life because oh, yeah. of this season, right? Absolutely, yeah. And they'll so, love Tom that... Allen forever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember. Look, at the beginning of this, I just quoted i talked about the 07 bucket game which i remember vividly so it was uh it was a great game it was glorious mike the college football playoff top 25 now these of course are the most consequential rankings of the year because all the rest were irrelevant these ones kind of matter because they set up the last ones that matter i would say these are the second most consequential ones. right are you ready mike for 25 yes. through 21 I think you'll be surprised by number 21, by the way. Have you seen the rankings, Mike? I'm looking at them right now. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. 25, Okie State. 24, Navy. Yeah, Navy. 23, Virginia. 22, uh, SC is there for some reason. And then <laughs> 21, Appy State. Yeah. I, I was, I, well, when I first glanced at this, I was surprised by Appy State. They are 11-1 and one with wins over North Carolina and South Carolina. And also, let me just say yet again, I love how Navy is listed as the United States Naval Academy. Right. And also, isn't it great that Appy State, a small school in the Carolinas, beat the two biggest school in the Carolinas? Yeah, yeah that, absolutely. It's not just that they beat an SEC and an ACC school. It's, exa- it's which ones they were. They're the best football school in the Carolinas. Yeah, they are. And by the way, USC is being uh, shoehorned into these rankings so to justify <laughs> Utah in the event that the committee wants to put Utah in there. 20 through 16. We got Cincy, Boise, Minnesota at 18. That to me is a bit insulting, Mike. 17, Memphis, and 16, Iowa. Yeah, I mean, Minnesota at 18, they really did not look great down the stretch. I mean, they, it, it's almost like looking back on their season. And by the way, if you're Minnesota and you go 10 and 2 every year and you're in the number 18 in the, in the college football playoff, you've, you have a great program. Right. You know, you want to win. You know, obviously they would have loved to win and go to the Big Ten title game, but that's pretty much not going to happen most years for Minnesota. Um, I kind of I kind of lost my train of thought. What was I saying before that? I don't know. Sorry. But I have a question <laughs> for you. So I'm going to isolate number 15 here. Yes. 15, Notre Dame, 10-2. and two. I have not seen Notre Dame play. I, I'm being honest here. I don't think I've seen them play at all this year. They're the most nondescript Notre Dame team I can recall. Yeah, they are. I mean, I've seen them play, obviously. I watched a lot, some of the Georgia game, and I watched them dominate Navy. But, yes, they're, they seem like absolutely no factor in the, in the, um, in the national narrative. You know why? Because why? they're independent for no <laughs> reason. They have no, they're not a member of a conference, of course. 14 through 11. We got Michigan, Oregon, Bama, Auburn. How, how much glee are Auburn fans taking and being as a three loss team being ranked a spot ahead of Bama, right? Yeah. There's going to be a lot of screenshots taken of these (laughs) rankings uh, and shared for years. 
Uh, 10 through 6. We got Penn State at 10, Florida at 9, Whiskey at 8, Baylor at 7, uh, Oklahoma at 6. Now, you said you were going to comment about Penn State being at 10. Do you think that's too high or too low? I mean, again, I, I've told you all year, and I, I still believe they're a very good football team. I think um, they're definitely better than Michigan. I think they're probably close to being um, better than Oregon. We could see these teams play in the Rose Bowl. I don't think they're better than Alabama, and I definitely don't think they're two spots better than Alabama. Yeah, no. I, I, I When you look at Alabama, they destroyed everyone on their schedule lost to, and lost to the best team in the country in a shootout and then lost to their arch rival on the road in a kind of a fluky game with their backup quarterback. I'm not saying they I'm not saying they should go to the playoffs, certainly not, but um, let's say they're ranked 12. If you can show me 11 teams that are better than Alabama, I'd be surprised. Right. Speaking of which, I mean like again, like, I think you and I agree and I've watched them quite a bit. Utah's a quality football team, but you tell me, "All right, Bama's playing Utah. I'm probably taking Bama." Yes. Of course you are. Anyway, five Utah, four Georgia, three Clemson, two LSU, one Ohio State. So again, people are going to read into these things what they want to read into them. So Georgia at four to me, I, again, I still, th- all due respect to Georgia, I, we've talked about this in the podcast, Mike. The flaw with Georgia is that their offense is at times um, inert. It's not yeah, was- the most fantastic offense in the world. And they have the worst loss of anyone in that whole group. But are they there as a placeholder because they have to play LSU this week? You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. I mean, they, they have a, they have the most number of quality wins, though. I would say that, too, when you look at Florida, Notre Dame, and Auburn. Um, but the, the, the real issue with Georgia now heading into next week is that they are down their top receiver, and then their number two receiver is suspended for the first half because of the fight he got into with Georgia Dumbest Tech. Play. Where, Dumbest yeah, play. Why would – you know, we're not football players, Tim, right? So <laughs> we don't understand the raw emotion of the game. But I really find it hard to understand attempting to punch someone with a, who's wearing a helmet. Right. Is, is, I guess it's just your your instinct, your gut nature. You want to punch someone. You don't stop to realize that they're wearing a helmet. But it costs this guy uh, the first half. Finally, question for you, Mike. If you had to tell me, if you were like pinned down, you can pick one. If these teams are going to play in a round robin tournament, one team was going to win. You got the Buckeyes, the Tigers, and the Tigers. Who wins? God, it's so hard to say. They're all so good. They're all so good. And that's why I do agree that whoever gets the number one seed is a big is it's a big deal because yeah. the number four. There's such a huge drop off after number three. But, uh, you know, answering your question, <sighs> neutral site. Council Bluffs, as Bill King always says. Like, let's <laughs> play these teams at Council Bluffs. Council Bluffs, that's an interesting place to pick. Uh, I'd have to go, until proven otherwise, Clemson. All right, I'll go Ohio State. But, again, being said, Clemson's playing phenomenally right now. And Louisiana State, what a great story Joe Burrows is, right? Oh, yeah. There's no S. Joe Burrow. Joe, Joe Burrow. Burrow. I've, been, I've heard that so many times this week, I can't take it anymore. I don't know why. And, Sorry. An underrated moment of the weekend was him walking out with the Burrow oh. spilled. Oh, how great was that? Hey, that was fantastic. I love that. 
Um, and on the flip side, the one thing I didn't love is Dabo's ridiculous rant about <laughs> how everyone is trying to keep Clemson and the whole world's against Clemson. I don't know what he's talking about, but that act is wearing very, very thin. If his players still buy it, that's all that matters, right, Mike? Yeah, it's not. He's not doing it for me and you. <laughs> no. All right, Mike. Coaching news. There's been quite a bit. There this has. one to me is the biggest shocker. Chris Peterson, who of course, as we all know, built didn't didn't start the Boise State trend because of course Dan Hawkins kind of mm-hmm. started the foundation, nice but call, Chris. Yeah. Peterson really did make them a national powerhouse. When you look back, that's a no small achievement. Goes to Washington. I think did a pretty good job at Washington, right? Yeah, he won two Pac-12 titles. Went, took him to the playoff. Last Pac-12 team to go to the playoff was Washington. He's retiring. He's. It, it seems like a case of Urban Meyer burnout, right? It does, but I heard an excellent point on the radio today, and I wish I could remember who made it. Um, you're seeing this happen more and more now, in large part because these guys make so much money. Right. They don't need the money. And why would you, you know, you as we talked about earlier in the show, you have essentially no life uh, if you're if you're a coach. You're coaching. College coaching is a 24-hour-a-day job. Um, and there comes a point where you say, hey, I'm in my mid-50s. I'm set for life. You know, do I really need this? I've also heard, and this would make a lot of sense, because, you know, he stayed at Boise for a long time when he was a pretty hot commodity. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of talk that um, Seattle was too big of a city for him. Interesting. He didn't and like, it, I, didn't like, and like we were there. It, it is like a metropolis. Yeah, it's, it's not, a huge city. It's a huge city. It's been, I haven't been to Boise, but I'm going to guess Seattle's bigger. And I will say too, so one of my best friends in college, Scott Husbands, hi Scott, um, lived for a while in Seattle, and I will say he compared the passion of Washington fans to like Ohio State level. Well, like, that, that, that kind of intensity. That, that, that can't be true, though. I think it is. might be Mike. No, might be. I'm going to have to say no. Hard no. Greg Schiano, Mike, has been hired at Rutgers. I guess it's the best hire, uh, and it wouldn't be a <laughs> it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't talk about Rutgers, your other odd obsession this year. Um, but mark my words, he's not going to make a big impact. Everyone keeps talking about the job he did when he was there at the first point. They were in the Big East. It's completely and utterly different than being in the Big Ten East. That did you one, did that, you read that about one word the... with ten with T E N makes a very big difference. <laughs> did you read the bit about how they were close to a deal and the deal fell apart and then Chris Christie got involved? Did you hear what happened oh, yeah. with that? I did. So Chris Christie said publicly that Shiano didn't take the job because he didn't really want the job or something like that. So Shiano was like deeply insulted and then the the whole thing's ridiculous. But I, I look, Rutgers is just a hot mess. It's a bunch of just garbage. But I kind of admire the fact that the Rutgers fans, and if you're a Rutgers fan, I'll do credit to you. Yes, they're all in on this guy. This is oh, this yeah. is their savior, and they've he's made the, this he's happen. He's their savior. Yeah. He's their savior. But you know, look how how have these saviors worked out at Michigan? How have they worked out at Nebraska? <laughs> I mean, it, I, the savior doesn't always save. I'll just say that. Matt Luke fired Ole Miss. We covered it earlier. The Ole Miss job to me is a very curious one. I mean, I I've been off offline the last eight hours. Has anyone been hired at Ole Miss yet, Mike? <laughs> I, I have also been offline for the last eight hours. Not that I know of. Uh, Barry Odom fired at Missouri. This one to me is a little bit strange. I mean, Missouri this season for them with the whole NCAA thing hanging over their head. Look, 
Barry Odom kept the team together when he could have lost everybody. I know the season didn't go as planned, but again, if you're Ole Miss or if you're Missouri, you're firing these guys. Who are you going to get? I've heard Missouri people saying, oh, we'll get Matt Campbell. Why would Matt Campbell go to Missouri, Mike? Well, he just just signed an extension today through 2025 or something uh, to stay at Iowa State. By the way, if Barry Odom were here sitting next to me on the couch, I would have no idea who he is. Um, finally, Mike, this is an important question for you. Who does Arsenal hire to re- replace Unai Emery? <laughs> well, I'll say that whoever this new guy that they coached the first game, like he's getting a, an audition or something, as they said. Uh, not a very impressive performance by Arsenal against a horrible team or horrible club from what I hear, right? They were just oh, they're uh, they're, yeah. they're below the relegation line, and it was a 2-2 draw, and it, had a, it, it took some creative officiating for it to get Arsenal a second penalty a PK to tie it, by the way. The answer for you, Mike, is you need to hire either um, Pochettino, f- just fired by Tottenham, which would be a great like rival move to do, or Max Allegri, formerly of Juventus. Okay? Or, my- or Mike Leach. <laughs> Mike Leach and Arsenal would be a very unique situation. I, th- I feel like Mike Leach could be a very good uh, EPL manager. <laughs> All right, Mike, the games of the week. Are you ready? There's so much in the, the slate here. Let's do it. All right, starting on Friday. Now, I like the Friday love. night kick for the Pac-12 championship. Love it, love it. Because if it weren't Saturday, no one would watch it, just like everything with the Pac-12. But the reality is, it's a 5 p.m. local kick in Santa Clara. So imagine the traffic nightmare. Oh, God, I can't even imagine. And also... The crowd's going to be, I'm guessing, 27,000 people because there's no Utah or Oregon fans anywhere near Santa Clara, right? Utah and Oregon are very, very, very far from Santa Clara, both of them. And, again, Santa, the, the, the Bay Area is not known for its passionate college sports fans. So can we stop, stop this and play it at someone's home field, Mike? Yes, the Pac-12 needs to move to an on-campus venue, no doubt about that. I agree Or Vegas, with you 100%. maybe. Yeah, Vegas. The new Vegas stadium would be a great locale. All right, uh, but thoughts on the game, Mike? What do you think? I think Utah, right? Yeah, well, six and a half, Utah six and a half point favorite seems like a lot, especially after a couple uninspiring performances from Oregon. The only thing I would worry about with Utah is the pressure, because obviously they have everything to play for. Oregon can play, come out, play a little bit looser, but you'd have to lean Utah. All right, Saturday we have one, two, three. Four. We have nine games, Mike. Number seven Baylor versus o- number six Oklahoma. Noon ABC, of course, at Jerry World. This one is a toss-up in my mind. Eh, I'm leaning a lot more toward Oklahoma. Based on uh, Jalen. Based on Jalen. Based on the fact that uh, the way they dominated the second half at Baylor. That game was at Baylor. Oklahoma is going to have the confidence. Oklahoma has the experience, and I think Oklahoma will alter its game plans to uh, to its advantage, and I'm, I just think uh, it's a double-digit win for Oklahoma. How about this, Mike? This is a, a, a um, game being played at the home stadium of the higher-ranked team. How about Louisiana at Appy State, number 21, at Kid Brewer Stadium in Boone, North Carolina? <laughs> Boone, North Carolina is a place I desperately want to visit. Right. Appy State by six and a half. I'm taking them. Me too. Uh, Miami, Ohio for Central Michigan. Where at, Mike? Ford Field in downtown Detroit. <laughs> New Beautiful ESPN2. The, the spiritual home of the Mac. I'm sorry to the Baylor, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Appy State games. My number one game 
on Saturday is the MAC championship. I'm going for Miami Central Michigan, Mike. Jim McElwain, former Florida coach, coaching uh, Central Michigan now. They're a touchdown favorite, seven over uh, Miami of Ohio. What do you think the attendance will be for that game? 12,500. <laughs> yeah, that's a good guess. <laughs> uh, UAB at FAU, 130 CBS Sports Network at FAU Football Stadium in Boca Raton. That's a Isn't great that a scene. funny name for a stadium? Yes. Football stadium. Let's just be clear about that. <laughs> Lane Kiffin, uh, seven and a half point favorite. It, will this be his last game as uh, FAU coach? I a lot have of heard SEC openings. Uh, I mean, I've heard him mentioned with the Ole Miss job, and part of me like is dying to see Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. <laughs> it doesn't seem like he had the right personality for Ole Miss, but it Do you would think be a he would great on, on game day. Would he skip all pregame activities and just go to the Grove? <laughs> exactly. He would. Uh, he would. He would. He better have some good coordinators because they'd be doing all the coaching on game day. Number twenty, Cincy at number seventeen, Memphis Liberty Bowl Stadium. Um, wait, did these teams play last week, Mike? They did. This is an exact rematch. Uh, Memphis won by ten last week. They're favored by nine and a half this week. That's got to be a weird situation, right? Extremely weird. I'll have a little more to say about it later. Number four, Georgia versus number two, LSU, of course, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, Atlanta, 4 p.m. kick on CBS. What's the line here, Mike? LSU by seven and a half. I would have presumed, and this is not a disrespect to Georgia, I would have presumed the line to be higher, to be honest. Yeah, me too. I would thought I thought it was going to be between eight to ten. I told Brian that uh, earlier in the week. Um, but it opened at seven, went to seven and a half. The loss of those receivers really hurts Georgia. But one thing I will say, despite it being played in a dome, in an NFL dome at that, great atmosphere for this title game. This is the only title game that really can stand apart, can stand alone as, as uh, you know, a game just worthy of winning the SEC. It, do, it doesn't even matter that it's being played for, you know, college football playoff implications, although it usually is. This is the one, the one conference game that I think conference title game that really gets it right. Hawaii at number nineteen, Boise State at Albertson Stadium, Boise, Idaho. Mike, four p.m. ESPN. The blue turf, four p.m. in Boise is what? Two p.m. What time is that in Hawaii? That's probably uh, in the morning. Tough, tough trip for Hawaii. They're nine and four. They've already played thirteen games. Wow, how about that for Hawaii? Uh, Boise, 13.5-point favorites. God, I love Hawaii so much. It was so fun watching their game against Army last week, but that's a, it's a tough task for Hawaii. Number 23, UVA uh, versus number 3, Clemson, 7.30 p.m. ABC at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. First of all, are the compadres traveling this game, Mike? No, that's beneath them now. They, <laughs> you, know, what, you don't waste your money going to the ACC title game in Charlotte. And I've heard from the compadres, by the way, not much of an atmosphere at the old Carolina Panthers game uh, stadium in Charlotte for the ACC title game. Four touchdown favorites, Clemson, 28 points. They will cover. You think so? I was going to yeah. say, like, that, I mean, I understand the, the gap here, but, like, that's a big, big number, Mike. Oh, no, no, Virginia, Virginia's season is over. They they won their, their Super Bowl last week uh, in beating Vitek for the first time in 15 years and winning the division. This is – they have a chance to go to the Orange Bowl even if they when they lose. This is This will be – Clemson will make short work of them. Finally, and I do like the Big Ten claiming the APM Saturday night kick is a yeah. good move for them. I, I agree with that. And then what I just said about the um, 
SEC title game. The Big Ten title game would be the number two in my book. Number one, Ohio State versus number eight, Wisconsin. Of course, at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, 8 p.m. kick on Fox. The line here is what, Mike? Buckeyes by 16. I mean, it seems reasonable, right? Oh, of course. I mean, watching Ohio State a lot this year, as both you and I have, it's hard to envision someone beating them. I heard someone today on the radio say, and I, I mean, I, of course, we've said all year how talented they are. You can make a case that Ohio State, and that not necessarily, at least in the Big Ten, they have clearly the best quarterback, clearly the best defensive lineman, clearly the best um, running back. And I don't know about that. Jonathan Taylor is pretty good. I mean, Dobbins has been a beast. Dobbins a is a beast, but so is Taylor. Yeah. So again, like the the it's one of those classic things where it's like, all right, if you're playing uh, playground football and you have Ohio State on one side and the rest of the Big Ten on the other side. How many guys do you take from Ohio State before the rest of the Big Ten? <laughs> Ohio State versus the Big Ten All-Stars. That's a great point. Neuheisel made another great point, too. It's uh, you, The three you listed, of course, Young, Dobbins, and Fields, throw Joe Burrow in there who's going to win the Heisman. You could have four of the – who, of course, transferred from Ohio State. You could have four of the top five Heisman vote-getters being Buckeyes. It's, they're just a juggernaut. So, look – Anything can happen, right? I mean, I guess of the of the Big Ten or SEC games, would you be more shocked if Ohio State lost or LSU lost? Ohio State, just because I, I think Georgia's Georgia's much better than um, Wisconsin. All right, Mike, really quick. Oh, sorry, locks of the week. Our picks last week were what? Uh, I went with Oregon State to cover the nineteen against Oregon in the Civil War. That was a winner. You foolishly took Indiana minus seven yeah. against Purdue in the bucket game. I knew it wouldn't have been that easy. You lost. We are both nine and five right now, which is very, very respectable. All right. Bobby hit the bumper. Plays bets on college football. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't care. I don't care. I never have. Tim, for this week's Lock of the Week, we are going to Memphis, Tennessee, the Liberty Bowl, home of the Memphis Tigers. They will host Cincinnati in a rematch, as you pointed out, of a game that happened last week. Memphis won that one by 10. They're favored by 9.5 this week. I am taking Cincinnati plus the 9.5 with the simple thought being uh, Cincinnati already had their division clinched last week against Memphis. They did not show everything. They knew there was going to be a rematch. Luke Fickle is an outstanding coach. He will be prepared for this rematch and Cincinnati will have the upper hand. It's hard to beat a team twice in a season, let alone twice in two weeks. I think that's too many points considering those circumstances. I'm taking Cincy. And the line in the Miami central Michigan game is what Mike? Central Michigan by seven. I'll take Central Michigan to cover, Mike. All right, Jim McElwain, you're going to be watching. So at noon, I you will be watching not the Big 12, uh, not – what else is at noon? Not the Big 12. Oh, there's only two games at noon. So, yeah, you'd definitely be watching uh, the MAC title game over, over the Big 12 if you were for some miracle not going to some kind of soccer board meeting, coaching, <laughs> banquet, all-star game, something. Mike, finally, quick fire round. Your player of the year. And – I'm stuck between two, I'll be honest. So what is your player of the year, Mike? Chase Young. 
So I'm down to Chase Young and Joe Burrow. So I know Chase Young is the better player, but I love the story of Joe Burrow. This guy was he was buried on the depth chart, right? And he goes yep. to LSU and not to be too dramatic, his like dreams come true at this place. Yeah, he reinvents LSU. He helps. He helps with the reinvention of LSU football. It's a it's a wonderful story, but I've not seen anyone in recent memory who can simply ruin the other team's offense because he's unblockable. Yeah, so I'll go Chase Young too. Coach of the year. There's so many possibilities here. Go ahead. I'm going with Ed Orgeron because of the fact that he was open to change for a for a. Football, you know how stubborn these football coaches are, right? right. For him to bring in a 30-year-old, young, untested NFL assistant and say, change my offense, update my offense, and they look like night and day, um, I'm going with Orgeron. I'm going to go for a tie, Mike. Is that okay? No, it's weak, but you can do it. All right, so I'll, I'll say my runner-up is Matt Rule, what he's done yeah. at Baylor. Mike, for you, Tom Allen. I love it. I love Tommy Tommy Allen, an Indiana native, takes us to eight and four, eight wins, first time since 1993. We are going to a bowl game. Tim, do you know the last time Indiana won a bowl game? And what was the score? The, what was the bowl? What was the score? And who did we beat? Independence Bowl, correct? Excellent guess. No, that was uh, we lost the Independence Bowl in '93 to Vitek. We've only been to two bowls since '93. 1991 Copper Bowl. Oh, Copper Bowl. The Copper Bowl, obviously, long dead bowl game. We beat Baylor 24-0. That was Indiana's last bowl victory. Mike, this one, again, I don't want you to pick the best team. Just a team that you think the most captivating, interesting team of the season. So this could be anything, right? If you Mm -hmm. want to pick best team, go for best team. But to me, like, just pick the best team. Well, so I'm not going to say best team because that's a little too obvious. So I'm going to pick two teams that – well, I'll have to pick three teams, sorry, since you just did a tie two. One, Minnesota. Their story was outstanding. Right. and You know, they sputtered at the end, but it was great to see them back and to see their, their fans, you know, engage like that. Two, Indiana. I'm going to say that out of my own selfishness. I won't even elaborate on that. But three – I have to say LSU because I've never seen a transformation of the style in which a team plays, and their offense is so utterly dominant. Um, it was it was exciting to watch. So I'll go with those three teams. Since you do three, I'll do three. Three okay. Air Force ten and two. We saw them last year, and their transformation from what we saw last year in Colorado Springs to what they are this year ten and two. That's a yeah, great, great job. Great pick. Um, to LSU, like you said, yeah. if nothing else, just a a example of what a what a great quarterback does, and b if a coach is flexible and like realizes and open minded, yeah. right? But to me, again, I've said it the last few weeks. Ohio State is unbelievable. That team yes. is just. They, I mean, they were the obvious pick, but yeah, they're 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 fun to watch, and I mean, they they dominated so thoroughly, right? They and won any games by less than double digits. Um, and by the way, tip of the cap to Penn State. Penn State played them better than anybody. Finally, and of course, this is the hardest one because, of course, we'll, there will be recency bias involved here. Game of the year. Uh, well, you know, there, there certainly will be recency bias, especially because our memories are so poor. Fading, yes. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> in fact, I can't even think of a game before, prior to this week. I was going to say the Egg Bowl, in terms of my enjoyment of a game, I'd have to put that number one. Um, and then probably uh, the Iron Bowl. Sorry. You're right about recency bias. So again, I, pre- I, I, I do did not think prepare for that question. The, the most impactful and important game probably was the Iron Bowl. Um, I think the Oklahoma comeback against Baylor was pretty fantastic. Yeah, I missed that one, unfortunately, but that, that did sound awesome. Just, again, and this is just me speaking personally as a fan, um, I really did very much enjoy Penn State's win at Kinnick. That was, to me, was like a sign that we had a good team this year. And I would throw in Penn State-Michigan was a fantastic night game, great that atmosphere. Was... Both teams played well. I love the way Michigan came back in the second half. That was a really great game. Um, Mike, your plans this weekend are what? Uh, my plans this weekend are to get together with noted TCFA, old college try listener Brian Schlater, and our old capital colleague Lewis to watch the SEC championship game. What a fun day. Oh, yeah, it's a great day. I don't know. I have a lot to do, unfortunately. None of it's soccer-related before... <laughs> four o'clock so then uh, hopefully i will be, i'll make it home after the sec game and watch the big 10 and the acc uh at night well it should be a very interesting weekend mike and then we will update people as far as our status for i, I was thinking like well depending on our schedules we maybe we should do a reaction thing to the cfp announcement and the bowl Especially depending where Indiana lands and Penn State lands. Yeah, well, at least we we have we have two teams uh, of intrigue. By the way, it's been so fun following all this blind um, speculation about which bowl Indiana is going to go. There's an aggregate site that I look at that publishes where all the various bowl predictors are putting us, and it's essentially every bowl that uh, we're eligible for. At least one service has predicted we're going to that one. So I really have. No idea where we're going until the show on Sunday. What's the most prevalent possible? Because I've seen you guys everywhere. I've seen you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really, really spread out at this point. I mean, for me, my number one hope and dream would be to go to the Music City Bowl in Nashville on uh, December 30th, just because I would go there and I'd love Nashville. Number two would be the Gator Bowl. January 2nd is a little rough because that's the day after New Year's Day. It's in Jacksonville. It's uh, a work day, and it's on a Thursday, but I would still consider going there. And then everything from the Red Box Bowl in Santa Clara, which I would not go to, and I would probably not even know when it was on. Just kidding about that. I'm going to watch no matter what, of course. Um, The Pinstripe Bowl, which I've been to, and then there's even a little chatter about uh, the bowl in Detroit. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's it's all over the place. Uh, so we're really not going to know till Sunday. I will say too, as a Penn State fan, like so the the most prevalent right now is definitely the Rose Bowl. But I have seen Cotton, Orange, Fiesta, Outback, and like a lot of mentions of all of those things. It, it really seems very unsettled. Little, your list is a better, a little better than mine. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> anyway. All right, folks, thanks again for listening. Uh, Mike, it's been fun this year. I think we should definitely do a post-ranking uh, yeah, announcement we'll, thing. We'll do we'll do a post-ranking uh, sh- uh, bowl preview show. Right, exactly. All right, Mike, there's one thing to say. Pachas. Pachas. Thank you.
you for listening to the TCFN podcast. For more college football news and wit, visit Intelligence.